Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. So Romans 8. How many of you guys have enjoyed just kind of walking through Romans 8 the the past few weeks? Uh, For me, just one of the most powerful chapters in all of Scripture. I feel like you could take all of Scripture and the message that it gives to us our need for Christ and hinge pin it on him. And I feel like Paul theologically just could, could literally drive that stake in the ground in Romans chapter eight on what he has done for us, what the ramifications are for you and for me, uh, spiritually, mentally, uh, as a result of what is um, just spelled out in this chapter. And so I don't know about you, when the Lord is usually speaking to me, I'll hear it from this person, I'll hear it from the stranger on the elevator. I'll hear it in a song at, at Kroger. I mean, it'll be everywhere, right? It'll be literally everywhere. When the Lord is trying to speak to me, man, he just drives it home. And uh, sometimes you have those, those moments where the Lord's trying to say something specific. Sometimes it's something that's so reoccurring in your life. It's kind of more of a theme. It's more of, it's more of kind of your spiritual DNA that the Lord has really directed you through. Um, and, and for me, Romans 8 is one of those, one of those chapters uh, we haven't gotten to my favorite verse. We'll get there, I guess, eventually, hopefully before Easter or the next time change in the fall. Um, but we'll get through it together. And so just to kind of recap a little bit, Paul's writing to mostly a Gentile audience. Uh, they're believers, uh, but they didn't grow up with the, the Jewish heritage uh, as, as a part of their faith. And so he's allowing those, the Jews, to kind of overhear what he is saying to this Gentile audience. But he spends a lot of time, again, just kind of leveling the playing field. And imagine if we did this in our country today. Instead of being divided, we looked to unify. Instead of looking how we could, um, could, could expose someone else's weakness to make us appear stronger, we decided to literally lower ourselves so that we could have more unity and equality with one another. And that's what Paul essentially is doing here with a body of believers. He is trying to um, allow everyone to process the righteousness we have received from Christ on the same level, which is through faith. And so each week I get the opportunity uh, to teach kids in our city through Kiko. And last week, um, Tara had been out. She was, she was ill. She was feeling sick. And I got to go through all her sites that used to be mine. And I was just reminded how much I just love it. But the specific lesson that we were talking about really ties to what Paul is, is addressing here in Romans chapter 8. We were talking about God's commands. We're, we're in a series called Creation to Christ, how you can see Jesus woven throughout the scripture. And as we were talking about this, I'm going to relate it to where we're going today. As I taught through that week, I saw the, the truths that were beginning to unlock for the kids that oftentimes, even as adults, are hard for us to grapple with. And I would ask the kids, I would talk through the fact that the commands were meant to be a bridge to God, not one to sever us from God. And we would talk about how that the, God's commands were to show us our sin, but also our need for him. And we did this, I did this scenario where I set up two kids and, and one would be here and he's trying to get God over here. He's trying to get to God. And, and we would hold up the Ten Commandments and we would talk about how having no other gods, have you ever broken that? Have you ever put yourself first ahead of God? Have you ever made your electronics, right? And like all the kids are like, oh no, Mr. Michael's preaching now, you know. Have I ever made electronics ahead of God? And so we put that, that poster down. And oftentimes we do this in our own lives. We make the fact that we have we've lied, we've cheated, whatever, we've not followed God's pathway for us, we've made that 
what broke our relationship with God instead of a bridge back to him. And I think that this is, this, this really serves us uh, just the wrong purpose that I think the scripture was intended to because most of us think that, man, I have broken these commands. Thus, these commands are really pointing to the fact that I deserve a lake of fire, you know, and that's what I would tell the kids. Do you think you were created for a lake of fire? And they're like, no, we're not created for a lake of fire. But the way we live our lives is we think that we're deserving of guilt and shame when we break God's commands. That when we don't stay on the path that he's called us to, that this is where we deserve. We deserve to be over here, which no one was ever created for. You were not created for hell. That was created for the devil and his demons, for his minions to, to experience forever the distance and absence from God. And for us, that was never our place. That was never our lot in life. That was never our destiny. And we think, though, that a lot of times we can take on ourselves the fact that, oh, but I deserve this, even some, some self-flagellation, some self-punishment, that I'm gonna, I deserve the shame and the guilt. I deserve the pressure that I'm under because I have not followed God the way that I think I'm supposed to. And we continue to walk out these, these, these commands, but what if instead of allowing them to create shame and guilt, what if we said, you know what? but I'm going to get back up. It's the righteous who fall seven times, but they get back up. I'm going to get back up and I'm going to realize I need him more than ever. And that's what, the, that's what God's commands were intended to do for us, to recognize that we can't do it, thus we have a perfect sacrifice in Jesus who already did. That our righteousness isn't based on your ability to keep, but to continue to confess and to place faith in and to say, I will walk after you, Lord, and I will continue to pant as the deer pants for the water. I will long for you. I will long for this bridge to be filled, and I thank you that Christ has already done it. And so we can dust ourselves off in, in the shame and guilt alike and have those spiritual light bulbs as I saw going off in some of the kids because this is one of the things I didn't get to mention last time we were together talking about this, is that the only blood, sweat, and tears that will justify you with God, it isn't yours. It's his. And I think sometimes we, we, in our minds, twist it a little bit because even in our spiritual disciplines, which I love, folks, I love the spiritual disciplines. They help me get closer to God, but they don't bring me more acceptance with God. He already has accepted me. He has already forgiven me. And it's from a platform of justification, from a platform of acceptance that I'm able to pursue him. And it is not our blood, sweat, and tears, but it's his that bring us that justification. Amen? This should bring us freedom. This should bring us such breathing room. So the ability to really say, wow, God, you've got it, and you've got me. And so I, we can just appreciate that he's already done this for us. And, and instead of living a life filled with God's spirits, out of, we, can, we can live it out of that place, again, of acceptance, forgiveness, and freedom. And so I love it as I'm talking with the kids. I would ask them, I was like, so did... Do you, think that, do you think you can earn God's forgiveness? And some are like, yeah, no, I don't know, I'm not sure. You'd get all those answers. Do you think you can earn God's love? Maybe, I know. they didn't know how to answer those questions. And I think as adults, sometimes we get that confused as well. Can I earn God's forgiveness? Can I feel a little bit better about myself based on my behavior? Can I get a little bit further away from my pitfalls to where I feel like, oh, the guilt and the shame has eased up, not because of what Christ has done, but because it's been that much further away from my own failure. And the fact is, it is through faith in what he has already done that we find that freedom. 
not in our ability to walk perfectly before him. That's empowering. That allows me not to go sin more, but to walk out with the strength of grace to overcome more. That is what he wants us to do, to see that it is through him and him alone. And so the simplicity of the gospel, I love how Paul starts this chapter, and then we're going to dive into where we're going today. Guys, you're not condemned anymore because those who are in Christ Jesus, that's been removed from our equation. The condemnation and the guilt have already been removed through Christ, and that is the gospel. Those who are born again, when we are regenerated, we have the ability to shift our thoughts from the old ways of thinking and to dwell on these new spiritual ways, the things of the Spirit. And how many of you know that our thinking and our living, they will echo one another? That the way we think, as we talked about last time, what we dwell upon will also come out in the way we live. What we entertain up here will come out in how we walk our lives and our priorities and our values. And so we're going to get into the passage today where we're going to be uh, starting, which is Romans chapter 8, verse 9. I'll have it on the screen, but if you want to dial it up on your phone, feel free to now. If you're taking notes, I know you're really saved. Just kidding. Tough crowd, Carrie, tough crowd. All right. So today we're going to be walking through Romans uh, chapter 8. We're going to go verses 9 through 13. Starting in verse 9, it says, You, however, as believers, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Him. They do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit will give you life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who is in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. The obligation is to walk out of the abundance of power that is within us through his spirit. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The good news that Paul writes to the recipients of this letter is the reminder that, hey, we're not like those who don't know the ways of God any longer. Because remember how he talked about if we were walking according to the ways of the flesh, like we don't even understand God's ways. There's no way for us to even understand him. I don't know if you've ever had an, a, a time where you, maybe you were sharing something that God was doing in your life at work and you can see the look on the people you're talking to and they, they just don't get it. It's not adding up. What, it, what is happening in your heart and what he's doing, it's not computing to them. They, they're not in the experience that the Spirit is working in in your life. And sometimes we expect others to understand what God is doing in our lives, but if they're not, if they're not connected to God, it's going to be foolishness to them, is what Paul says in chapter 8. It will be foolishness. But here he says, if we are walking instead according to this, the Spirit that is within us because of what Christ has done, he says, we will be reminded that we are filled with the Spirit and can overcome those misdeeds of the body. And so what is he talking about? I love what Paul says in other parts of his letters. To the Corinthians, he says this. He says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received? You are not your own. And so he writes to Timothy something very similar. He said, guard the good deposits that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help 
of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. For us believers, we're reminded that, yes, our physical bodies, they, they host something now that is divine, but also collectively as an, as an organization here, as, as his church, an organism connected to his body, we are filled with his spirit. That should cause us to want to quit the divisions, the backbiting, the gossiping, the things that cause us to, to rival with one another. We should want to seek the health of our body. We should want to see this lived out through the power of his spirit. And many times we don't see that. Instead, you, I want to echo that our bodies serve the purposes of God in the here and now, reaping a harvest in the then and there. And so for me, what I, what I see when I, when I put this up here is that our physical bodies even serve a purpose in the plan of God now. That we can carry out what he has allowed us to, to be called into because of his grace, but not because we are lacking, but because we are full of his spirit. And so our physical bodies even can echo with God that it has been redeemed and can carry out purposes that it couldn't have before that we can walk in health, that we can walk in healing, that we can take care of what he has given us, that we can, we can prioritize, God, I want to run this journey to its fullest, and I will only see the extension of his kingdom to its fullest when I'm operating in, in the best version of myself, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And so the, the onus becomes on us to share this with him of saying, God, yes, you have brought the pathway of salvation, but there's a responsibility for me to respond to you and allow you to give me the strength through your spirit to walk this life out, that I can see your fullness in everything that I do and say. And so remember, those that don't have the spirit, they're not going to understand these things. But Paul says we can recognize that those who belong to Christ as God's children because of the spirit that is within them. First John echoes this as well. He says, this is how we know that we live in him and that he is in us. He has given us of his spirit. He has given us of his spirit. And the spirit of God reveals all truth and he allows the finished work of Christ to become revelation within us. This is what the spirit does. You remember I mentioned a couple weeks ago that the Holy Spirit is really good at his job. What he was sent to do is, is, the, is the writer of the gospel of John, as John would say, he would say that he has come to convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment. And the Holy Spirit is really good at that. He's really good at keeping us in, in check in the guardrails of life that we are in the middle of our lane, that we're following God's best plan for us. And he gives us opportunity to respond to this revealed truth. And this is how we can recognize that you are part of God's family, the spirit of God within you. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, especially today, right? How many times have you seen in the last week someone post or say, you know, judge not, or don't judge me, or you don't know, you know, you don't understand what I've been through. And, and there's some truth to that, right? But we can see from the fruit of your life, if God's spirit is within you, if you're walking in that spirit, I mean, I get it that oftentimes, even with when we have chosen to follow the Lord, we can, we can wrestle with, with obeying him in certain seasons, and we can wrestle with following what he is calling us into. But, but there's a lifelong process that we should be able to see that, the, that that curve of our life is headed towards his plan, not away from it. That is someone that we can tell has the, the spirit of God. We can see by the fruit, by the fruit evident in our lives. And, and how many of you have ever made a large purchase before where it required a deposit? You ever bought a car where they wanted some earnest money before you left that property if you were serious? 
Uh, what about a home, right? I, I remember having to do that. About this time last year, Candy and I, because you've noticed, we continue to add kids to our family, but our home has not gotten any bigger. And so we're like, okay, we're out, we're out of space. Just this week, we're like, May, maybe we'll find something bigger. Maybe we'll just make this one work. But this time last year, we had made an offer on a house. We thought it had plenty of room. Uh, we were excited to, to be moving. It was even on a road called Rocky Top. I mean, how could that not be home sweet home to me, right? And so we we're like, this is, this is maybe it. I'm a little nervous. I'm a little nervous. It's really far away. And ah, my house isn't a contingency offer. Oh, no. But I had to put some money down. I put a chunk of money down to say, hey, we're serious about this contract. We're writing some words down, but I want you to know that everything in this contract, we're going to be good for it. And here's how serious we are. And so you, usually when we put down a deposit, it means we're coming back with the rest later. We're going to be good for the remainder of what we have put down. This is a deposit guaranteeing we're coming back for the rest. You do it with a car. You do it with a house. As you can tell, we didn't move. That house fell through based on inspections anyways. But God has done something similar in our lives. And the deposit he, he has given us is his spirit. And I love what, what, uh, what he says, what Paul says in Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. He says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you, were, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit. And he says the Holy Spirit, he's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, who are God's possession. And I love this because the idea, especially in the Greek, check this out. I'm going to get a little nerdy on you. Is that all right? The Greek word here says it's uh, arabon, which describes the Holy Spirit as a payment of part of a purchase price in advance kind of like a first installment, a deposit, a down payment, or a pledge. Because of God's Holy Spirit in you, it is this connection to heaven and the divine guarantee that he is coming back for the rest of what he has deposited. That it has also attached us to him in a greater inheritance that is forever. An inheritance that God, unlike us, isn't running out of money. His inheritance isn't going to dwindle. His glory, the, his, the glorious riches that he draws from, they're for eternity. They, they know no end. They know no bounds. And so I love how Paul puts this here that literally the deposit within us is, the, is a guarantee of the return of our inheritance, that the fullness of everything that he has designed us for, it will come. But it's not just a then and there. It is also a here and now that we can walk in the fullness of God now, that you can know him intimately, that you can experience all of heaven in your life here, knowing that one day we will see in full and be known in full and know him fully as he is to be known. The here and now is a shadow of the then and there. But if Christ is in you, as he would say, I love what this, this is a, com um, a commentator said this, let me read this to you, that the spirit in believers' lives, it constitutes God's earnest money, a kind of deposit from him by which he assures that he will give them their full inheritance. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee that, hey, I'm good for the rest as well, that what you're experiencing now in your mortal body, it will be quickened one day to experience everything that Christ has shadowed for you, the glorification of your body, the ascension to heaven to be with him for eternity, 
all of this is a foreshadow that we would celebrate with him in new life, not only now, but for eternity. And the deposit is the Holy Spirit. And Paul says in Romans 8 that if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit. I've mentioned it before that we see the obvious effects of sin. You don't have to look far. You don't have to watch the news for long. You don't have to scroll your Facebook feed for nearly three seconds before you can see the effects of sin in our world, before you can see the divisions we have, before you can see the fear that we um, have been preyed upon with from our society in every fashion and form. Though you can see real quick, it's an election year too, right? We can see that there was truce with Afghanistan. We can also see that there's a coronavirus epidemic now. You can see that there are so many outlets that there are the effects of sin that are being echoed with a bullhorn loud and clear to us. We see what Adam has done, but are we just as privy to what Christ has done that overshadows any of the impact of what the first man did? The second man has done something even greater. Christ has won the victory. And what we are experiencing now as heirs with him, as adoptees into his family, we experience the overwhelming benefits and blessings of being in his family, as being a son, as being a daughter of God. The same spirit that raised him from the dead is a deposit in each one of us, guaranteeing not only the reality of what we have already experienced, but what we will experience in its full your bodies too will be quickened and experience what Christ has foreshadowed for us. They will be glorified. They will be made whole. You will no longer, as, as, as the writer of Revelation would say, there will be no more tears, no more pain. Won't that be a great day? And we claim his promises now through the deposit of his Holy Spirit that we would walk in that fullness knowing that it will be fully made known to us on that day. The deposit. Paul writes as he's praying for those in Ephesus. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, relating to him as family. Oh, give us this spirit of wisdom and revelation that we may know him better. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his saints. There is a revelation for us to have, Paul is saying right here, and it is the riches of his inheritance within us. There is something that most of us walk around in this life and I don't think we fully get. We don't fully realize that there is heaven on earth unlocking inside of us through the power of his Holy Spirit. It is the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. That is the same spirit, but we don't walk in that reality because we see down here. We, and, and I used to have an old youth pastor. He would say, you can either soar as eagles or you can peck as chickens, <laughs> right? We, we have a perspective issue because we have been elevated to, see, to sit with Christ in heavenly realms, to soar as eagles. But instead, we're so focused on what's right here and we don't see what God has unlocked for us. I'd rather soar as an eagle. I don't know about you than peck as a chicken the glorious inheritance in his people. And he goes on, he said, in, and his 
if I can read it, and his incomparable great power for us who believe, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. And he goes on saying he is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God has placed all things under his feet. So there's a revelation that when we encounter him, we see that he unlocks hope and hope is rooted in the calling he has for each one of us, as he would say in verse 18, namely to be sons and daughters. Paul's lingo is attached to what he says in verse 11, that before the world was created, you were chosen. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around that adoption was God's first plan, but it was because Christ had been already sacrificed before the foundation of the world, the scripture would tell us. He already had a plan of redemption, knowing there was gonna be a fall. He already had a plan to buy you back, to pay your price, to redeem you from the penalty of sin, and to adopt you as as his own. I have belonging now. I have a place I can call home. And it's not the place I'm passing through right now because it's on the other side of this life. I know that I am not my own. I've been purchased with a price. That I have been adopted as a son. You have been adopted as a daughter, as a son of the King Most High. You have royalty in your veins now. You have inherited something. And he has deposited his spirit within you, saying there is more to come. There's more to come. And so I don't know if you've ever received an inheritance before. Possibly you were expecting something from a family member upon their death. My sister's uh, here this morning, so she'll, she'll relate to this um, because of what we experienced with my grandmother just a couple years ago. My mom's mom, um, she lived a very simple life and decided that she would save, and, and I wish they'd enjoyed more of it, honestly. You know how most people, they, if they do stockpile and save away, it's, it's for their retirement, and then really it only, it only takes care of them because they're, they're too sick to enjoy it. And it wasn't much different for my grandmother. Um, She had moved up here from where uh, she had lived all her life in Middle Tennessee so she could be closer to family. And the money that she had saved to give as an inheritance, wow, because she had lived frugally to her kids, or to her child, I should say, just my mom, and her grandkids ended up being what had to sustain her 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 last few years of her life. But that was never her intention. And so you think about that in perspective of God because God... His riches, his glorious riches, guess what? They're not dwindling. His health isn't failing. He's not having to use up his resources. What he is about to lavish upon you, it knows no bounds. The deposit within you is more than you could ever imagine. The deposit alone is already going to trump anything else you face in this life. It is the power you need to live your best life here in connection with heaven. Imagine the inheritance. Imagine the rest. What will it be like in his glory, in the fullness of everything, to see him as he really is? As Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 13, that that veil would be removed, that we would know him fully, that love would triumph, that what has never failed would never fail forever. God's inheritance, it has no limits. It knows no bounds. It is not dwindling. It will not be exhausted. And it is guaranteed for us. It has been sent to us. It is for us. And it will fill us upon death, resurrection, and ascension. And it's already occurred through Christ. It has been activated in our life. 
You see, because just like the law that Paul has talked about, you are only under law as long as you are alive. Those laws no longer govern you when you die. Thus, someone had to die to bring us freedom and break the bondage of the law in our life. Jesus has died and, and, and has now released not only the law from over our life, but he has died and has released an inheritance in our life because that inheritance isn't good until death. He's unlocked it within us. But he has conquered death, hell, and the grave. He has ascended and is glorified beside the Father so that we can walk in the fullness of all things that he has given us. This is what he has done for us. He has exchanged what we had for something that we will never fully comprehend. Only through the Spirit. The verses that Paul, that often get echoed in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. Usually we preach this at a funeral because we're declaring that they are on, in a place that we can never imagine, and that is true. But the verses go on and say, no one knows the mind of Christ. No one can understand these things, but we have his Spirit. And his Spirit is, is connected, is the mind of Christ within us. And it is unlocking this reality and revelation of what is to come. So we can fix our things on that which is, which, uh, which is above. We can fill our thoughts with that which fills heaven. And we can live a life that brings his kingdom here. And that is what we're called to do. Amen. Bruce, would you come up? I'm going to finish here. The clock says I have another hour. Y'all changed it. Just kidding. They changed it. No, it's only 10.15. It's only 10.15, guys. We got another hour. Can you play for an hour? You can play for an hour. I'm going to finish here with Romans, where he ended. Romans 8, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation because of what Christ has done, because of the spirit that was within us, because it is connected to the same power that raised him from the dead, we have an obligation. It's not to the flesh to live according to it. Because we know that if we live according to the flesh, we know what that leads to. It leads to death. But if by the spirit we put to death the misdeeds of the body, we will experience life. We will live. It's time to live our best life. It's time that the life that God has called each one of us to, we live to its fullness. It is time to raise our children in a way that they understand not only the effects of sin, which I have to train my kids in and understanding, but also that they understand the effects of what Christ has done in, that, in their life. I want them to understand that greater are the effects of what Christ has done for them and how his righteousness has come to replace our sins, that his sacrifice has paid their price, that he has set us free from sin and death and the spirit that raised him from the dead, we now see it work in us. He will raise our mortal bodies. We can walk in the spirit in this life, seeing the ways of the flesh put to death and we can reign with him forevermore. The body is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. You have been called to fill this earth in every way. As a son and a daughter of Christ, you have the creative power and nature of your heavenly father within you to speak words that yes, do hold the power of life and death, but as you speak life and create things in other people, there are people that are far from God that are around you every day, that just the words that you speak can begin to create hope within them. Remember, we're pointing them back to the hope that is within us. 
we're ready to give an answer for why are things so different? What is happening inside you? We can begin to fill everything in every way as his body because his spirit is within us. And then they begin to want to be a part of this family. They want to belong. We all want to belong. We all want to know what that emptiness inside was created for. Through our lives, we begin to fill everything in every way. This is what we are created for. The inheritance we have is both for now and forever. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we have just looked at this passage of scripture that talks about what you have done for us um, through your death and life, God, I pray that it would be more than just theological today, that it would be more than just head knowledge and academics, but Lord, it would unlock within our spirit. Lord, only you can do that, can bring spiritual revelation of these words from your, from your scripture. God, and I ask that you would breathe life. Show us what your purpose and calling for us to walk in that creates hope. Would you ignite hope, Lord? I know that there's probably been a sense of just emptiness in some of us in here today and, and just kind of some, some floundering, some going through the motions, some doing what we know to do. But Lord, I pray that you would begin to breathe destiny and life and hope within us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you fill us, that as we give our lives to you, we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for the one who has purchased us. If you're in this place and you would say, Michael, I'm not even sure where I'm at on this journey. I'm not sure if I've started it. I'm not sure if I'm, I'm barely on it, but I don't have this sense of, of living God's fullest life for me. I don't have this sense of really even knowing if his spirit is directing me or leading me. I, I want that though. If that's where you're at today with nobody looking around, would you just slip up your hands? Okay, yes. Yes. Anyone else? Yes. If you're in here and you would say, Michael, I, I, I believe I've, I'm on that journey, but I've gotten off somewhere along the way. I'm not walking in that revelation and that fullness and I know that he wants to renew that within me. If that's where you're at, would you just say yes, that's me, raise your hand. Okay. Father, I just pray for your people in this house. I pray, God, that there would be an awakening in our heart. Lord, I believe that you have set up some circumstances even in our lives, Lord, to draw us to you. And Lord, I pray that as we get to the bottom of our barrel, we see the fullness of yours above us. And God, your hand is not only reaching out to us, but you climb in and you rescue us. You understand because you are acquainted with our, our weaknesses. And God, you carry us out of the pit that we have found ourselves in. We thank you that you are that kind of savior. You are in it with us and you rescue us from it and you carry us out. Lord, we thank you, God, that now you are doing that in our hearts. Lord, I pray that there would be a new freedom of, of those that have been locked in a cycle of thoughts. I just sense that there has been a cycle of, of, of negative thinking, of, of just habits, of, of cycles. God, I just sense right now, Lord, you're breaking cycles. You're breaking things that have been for generations. I sense that there are even things that started when we were as kids that we've picked up, Lord, our identity. But Lord, you're speaking over us who we truly are, that we are loved and accepted and forgiven, and that we can walk in this, Lord. That what we have believed about ourselves, Lord, those lies begin to faint and grow dim. And Lord, we thank you for your truth right now. You are declaring, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy, Lord.
Thank you for your penetrating love that brings about transformation. It is your kindness that leads us to repentance, Lord, and we thank you for that. And I pray this week we don't leave these, this place and forget that you are drawing us to you. But Lord, we build upon what you are starting now in our hearts. God, I pray that you would, as we go to bed tonight, you're the last thing on our, on our minds. And when we wake up in the morning, you're the first one we think about. Throughout the day, Lord, would you fill our hearts and thoughts. Would you draw us with a hunger for your word and to experience you in your presence as we worship you this week. God, I thank you. Thank you for your people, for your body that will fill all things in every way. Amen and amen.